In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Every day, we have to make choices on whether we can trust someone or not. If we make the wrong choice, it can mean a failed relationship or business partnership and all the emotional and financial costs that follow. My guest today has spent his career sizing people up in high-stakes situations. His name is Robin Dreek. He spent two decades working as a behavioral analyst for the FBI, and in his new book, Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction, he shares the tips everyone can use in determining whether or not someone is trustworthy. We begin our conversation discussing how Robin's latest book, Bill off the work he did in the code of trust and the consequences of sizing people up incorrectly. Robin then shares the overarching framework he recommends using when you want to figure out if you can trust someone or not. Then we spend the rest of our conversation digging into the six specific signs you should look for when you're figuring out if you want to enter into a personal or professional relationship with someone and you're trying to predict their future behavior. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash sizing people up. All right, Robin Dreek, welcome back to the show. Uh, I'm flabbergasted and extremely excited to be back on your awesome show. So thanks very much. So we had you on last time. It's been a few years to talk about your book, The Code of Trust. You got a new book out, Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction. How does this book build off the first book, The Code of Trust? It's a great question. I've been asked that a lot lately, and, and it was actually a very natural progression and one that I never anticipated. So the code of trust is all about behavior you can have to inspire trust in others. And what happened was the code of trust is about focusing others and how they want to be interacted with and knowing how to demonstrate affiliation, knowing how to demonstrate value to them. And it made me focus so much on other people that I really started understanding, well, wow, other people, if you really focus on them really hard, they become really easy to predict because what the, every person basically wants is to be affiliated and valued by individuals, and they're always going to act in their own best interest. And so all I got to do is figure out what that is, and I can predict their behavior. So that's where they all sprang from. And, and like in the code of trust, I mean, so your background is you worked for the FBI and their behavioral analysis department. And like what your job was, like you were trying to like find spies here in the country and get information from them. And, and what made you successful at that job wasn't doing like the subterfuge stuff. It was simply just gaining that person's trust and they would open up to you. Yeah, I, I call it the toughest sales job in the face of the planet because my job was to recruit foreign spies. My product was American patriotism. And foreign spies are typically foreign diplomats at you know, diplomatic establishments, and so they're under diplomatic cover. And so the funny thing is, so I'm selling a product of American patriotism to someone who probably doesn't want to buy it, and the second challenge is it's illegal for me to actually make an approach to them because they're foreign diplomats as FBI agent. And so try try doing that in sales. You know, so you got a product you want to sell that no one wants to buy, and it's illegal for you to talk to your potential clients. And so 
I found over the years, you know, I had these great, these great mentors and guides. I call them Jedi masters who knew how to develop these, these amazing relationships. And what ultimately at the end of the day, it wasn't coming down to subterfuge or deception or manipulation. It came down to, can they trust you? And from trust, you have relationships. And from relationships, you can get anything. Well, another part of your job is figuring out, can you trust someone? Because someone could come to you and say, hey, I've got information. But you got to be like, can I trust this guy? Does he have an angle? Is he going to backstab me? So you all, so you, this is what, this is what uh, sizing people up is about, learning how to predict whether you can trust someone or not. Yeah. And the first thing I'd love to do is, you know, we as human beings love to use that word trust. But what, what I first started realizing was, man, trust is a very subjective word. You know, we as human beings really use a lot of our own subjective, you know, angles on it, whether it's our own ethics and morals. And and we use liking a lot of times. You know, we think we can trust someone just because they like them. The analogy I love to use is, you know, I got a I got a best friend. I'm a pilot. He's not a pilot. I can't really throw him the keys to the plane and say, hey, fly the plane. I can trust you. You know, it's it's so so liking someone and just because they share your same morals and ethics doesn't necessarily mean you can trust them. So I quickly shift trust into predictability because it really comes down to what can I reasonably predict this human being or this person is going to do. And and really the whole point of that is so I can manage my expectations and so I can make good cognitive choices so that I can keep that good, healthy relationship in all situations. So it sounds like trust is context specific. Like you said, you could trust maybe your best friend to keep a secret about something that's personal, but you wouldn't trust him to fly a plane. Yeah. It's very, you know, I love keeping things in lanes. You know, and because if someone blows trust in one area because they lacked competence, maybe in it, doesn't mean you can't trust them in other lanes uh, of their life. And that the analogy you just gave was great. You know, I mean, so you know, I I trust someone because they're a good friend of mine and they take care of the house really well, so I can trust them to watch my house. But you know what? He has no competence in a few of these other areas, so I would never ask him to do that. But sometimes people do. Then they're disappointed. Then they get angry, and there goes a relationship. And what are the consequences of, I mean, I guess everyone, I guess people know the consequences if you trust someone you know you, you shouldn't have trust. I mean, in your line of work, it could have been, you know, the, the difference between whether stopping a terrorist attack or something. In our personal lives, it can be a ruined marriage, a bad business deal, et cetera. Yeah, the consequences to me, it, it's so funny. The, the book, I did the book for many reasons at multiple levels. If you want to take it at a very surface level, you know you can say, "All right, I'm having a couple of interactions with people in a boardroom. I want to see who I can size up and who I can trust and not trust." Okay, that'll work. But what's the real purpose behind it? And the real purpose behind it for me was, you know, who can I? I, I just wanted a good, have good, healthy relationships because you know both the bedrock of the code of trust and sizing people up is what I found doing this whole thing is whether it's recruiting spies or selling products or dealing with my kids or my wife, I want healthy relationships in my life because when you have healthy relationships, you can accomplish anything. And I tell this to my kids all the time. You know, I have very, you know, I, I suffered that proud parent syndrome. You know, my, my son's at the Naval Academy. My daughter's about to graduate as a nurse. You know, I've got great kids and they got great genetics and biology from my wife, not me. <laughs> and I say to them all the time, I said, you have the greatest biology and genetics on the planet. But without relationships, you might as well be a moron on top of a mountain by yourself because you can't achieve anything without relationships. So really the whole bedrock of everything I do is about maintaining, fostering, and growing good, healthy relationships. And sizing people up helps you do that because it helps you manage your expectations about what you can reasonably expect someone to do. Because if you focus so hard on on these six signs, you actually know 
what you can reasonably expect this person can do in each situation. And now here's the great thing about it. They're either going to meet that expectation or exceed it. And now if they fall short of it, because you took so much due diligence in figuring them out, if they fall short of it, you know something went sideways in their life. And now you can be a resource for them and what, what, whatever went sideways. And so, again, it maintains a good, healthy relationship without getting frustrated, angry, resentment, all those negative emotions. Well, I think I love that that's the big theme throughout both of these books, The Code of Trust and Sizing People Up, is that trust, when trust is there, it makes your life so much more efficient because instead of having to like, you know, take a business deal, instead of having to like go th- make make every little decision a contract, right, where you get a piece of paper, you can say, hey, will you do this? And they do it, just streamline the whole thing because there's that trust that exists. It streamlines everything in life. You know, before I retired, you know, I was still working counterintelligence and I had, you know, you, you can't do anything inside the FBI or any law enforcement without confidential human sources. People being a resource for national security, that was my thing. And I had what I called the Magnificent Seven. These seven human beings were the most awesome patriots, great friends, great people I've ever been part of. And I always use the analogy, you know, I'd rather have seven people give me 120% of their effort willingly than 150 people give me 5% reluctantly because those seven people, if you have a healthy relationship with them, it's very, like you said, it's very calming. Things become very easy because there's no, there's no drama and the effect on them, they now start seeing in their lives, they stop, they stop being tolerant of other unhealthy relationships. And so they start getting healthy. So it's that six degree separation of Kevin Bacon thing. These seven people might not have all the answers, but they know someone who has the answers. I've never had to go more than two degrees deep in order to find the answers we needed to have in order to protect national security. So in your work, and then you lay this out in the book, you found six signs of behavior prediction on whether you can trust someone or not. But before we get into these specific signs, let's talk about the overarching framework you you discuss in the book about sizing people up. So what are the big picture things that people need to keep in the back of their mind when they're interacting with someone and they're trying to figure out, can I trust this person? So I think the easiest thing to think about is us as human beings, what is every single human being on this planet hardwired to do? We're all hardwired for safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves. That's it. We want to be safe, we want to be secure, and we want to be prosperous. So so all I have to do is figure out what the other person, from their point of view, thinks will grant them safety, security, and prosperity. If they're a little more altruistic, it'll go out to their family, a little more to their community, a little more, maybe to their nation, you know, so, but that's it. We're genetically hardwired for safety, security, and prosperity. And so if you understand that and, and remember that every time you're interacting with someone, all you got to figure out is focus on them and figure out what they think is in their own best interest because people will always act in their own best interests. And then the other thing you talk about too is you want to keep your feelings out of it. Like that you, again, doing back that subjectivity, yeah. just because you like someone doesn't necessarily mean you can trust them. Yeah. And that's, that, that can be very difficult because I know we get emotionally attached to things. We get emotionally attached to people and we get emotionally hijacked. You know, the real reason I love the code of trust and I love sizing people up is because it keeps that, that irrational brain where we have these emotional impulses for fight or flight. It helps them, helps you remember, keep cognitive is, is what I'm doing actually helping or hindering a healthy relationship is what I'm doing, actually assessing what they are doing or not doing, or am I just emotionally reacting to what they're doing? And then all all throughout the book, you talk about this, You is the, that Russian saying, trust but verify. What does that look like? 
it means that I, I generally will start out trusting you because human beings, you know, no one wants to be mistrusted or, or no one's, no one's looking to take advantage from the get go. They're just always going to act in their own best interest. So I just start out understanding that you're going to act in your best interest and I'm going to trust you to act in your best interest. And so I'm going to trust it as long as it's overlapping with mine. And I'm going to look for signs that where some of these things might be going sideways and it might not be in my best interest to do that. All right. So the first principle, the first thing you look at that you can use to predict whether someone's trustworthy is vesting. What do you mean by that? So, so vesting is, you know, it becomes that symbiotic relationship is, are they actually doing things, you know, proactively that are good for you as well? So that's what I'm really looking for in that. It's not too hard to tell. You know, there's a lot of, you know, like I'm, I'm thinking back to the, you know, I actually use the story I used in the book. You know, my, my very first confidential human source that I had in the FBI, this was a guy that had had, you know, 25 years working with the FBI, had 14 or 15 handlers before me, and some went sideways, some went well. And I remember when I first started interacting with him, he really cared about my future, my success, because he knew he, he loved being a source. He loved being a patriot. And he knew that if he could help me be successful, he, he would be a, a better patriot because he'd be able to do more as well. So he was really vested in my success. So what are some signs? I mean, I think people know when someone's vested in your success, like they'll go, be, go out of the way to do things for you. But what are some signs that someone's not vested in you? Like, like proactively, you can tell, okay, that person is definitely not vested in me. So it's the reverse of these. I like I like I have the ten for the ten for and the ten against. I like focus on the positive. So just like the top three, I like when people are talking in terms of my interests. Contrary to that, they're talking in terms of their own interests. I love when people have you know their own favors that they call in from other people for your behalf. In other words, they're calling in favors that they, of people they know, relationships they have to benefit you. Converse of that is, is that you know they have these connections and yet they're keeping them screened from you. And, and another really big one I really love is when they start overlapping their lives with you. So you have a professional relationship with someone and all of a sudden you know, they're inviting you to social engagements as well. And kind of the converse of that is when they're excluding you from these things. So basically anytime where you see someone taking actions where they're being selfless in the things they're doing where they have no personal gain, but the gain is all for you. And they have no expectation of reciprocity for it. That is someone that's totally vested in you. Well, that second one's important because – I think everyone's encountered that thing where people look like they're vested. Like, Hey, I'm doing this thing for you, but you're like, this feels weird. Like I don't, right. there's an angle here and I don't like it. Right. And that's the thing. And that's why, you know, my, my third anchor. So I have these three anchors for everything I do. My number one anchor for everything I do is number one, healthy professional relationship. Number two is open honest communication and transparency. So, Cause I can't have the healthy relationship without that. My third is is be a resource for the success and prosperity of others without expectation or reciprocity. Because when you make yourself available for others as a resource without that expectation, that's when it becomes a good, healthy relationship. So that's what I'm looking for as well. So people that are vested do that. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suits start at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts starting at just $89. 
So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash manliness. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of knowing a negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. 
And now back to the show. So a second principle, second thing you look at is longevity. Um, how is that a sign of trust? So longevity is, it's really simple. It's, it's believing that the relationship they have with you is going to last a long time or at least beyond, you know, a quid pro quo of a quick sale. I, I, I've had, you know, I've had some people I've worked with that were, you know, quick, you know, two, three, four meetings and out. And then I have, I've got a few people that, I mean, I'm still friends with them now. I, you know, I retired, you know, I retired, you know, over a year ago and I am, I have people I was in contact with over 20 years ago in New York and I am still in contact with them today. We exchange gift baskets every year. So that is someone that you know is a lo- you know a long thing. And so you can do it. You have them in your personal life as well, whether it's someone that you marry. It's those lifelong friends that you grew up with. And you have, you know, and even in neighborhoods, you know, say you move from place to place, but, you know, you don't carry everyone forward with you, but a few of them you wind up carrying forward with you. When you talk about in your in your job, sometimes you only had like one meeting to figure out is this guy in for the long run? So what what did you do as an FBI agent when you're talking to a, a diplomat? So can I trust this guy? And this is the only meeting you maybe have, would have gotten maybe for a year. What were you looking at? Right. So if we're going to look in the terms of longevity, I, I'm looking for the things he's looking to do. You know, if he starts having language about, you know, where he's going to live, where he's going to place his kids in school. And how I'm going to be part of that. And he is asking me questions about my career and would I still be in contact with him, you know, in, in five years from now? You know, so I'm looking for that kind of language. I'm also looking for things like rituals. You know, lots of cultures have different rituals. And I, you know, when I first met this one guy from the Middle East, I remember he, his, he had a, this favorite, you know, chai tea that him and his brother would have. And I remember at the very that I learned that in the first meeting. At the second meeting, I actually bought that chai tea with me, and we shared that together. So we established a ritual that became every time we got together, we had that. And then he initiated a ritual where he sent me a gift basket at, at Thanksgiving every year, full of cookies. It was the most innocuous, smallest thing, but I then reciprocated at the you know at the New Year, sent him in one in kind, and we've been doing that since uh, two thousand one. So anything where you establish rituals is part of it as well. Right. Well, and then um, a third principle you look at is reliability. And this goes to that point we were talking about earlier. Now, you might trust your friend for you know keeping a secret for whatever reason, but you might not trust him to fly a plane because he's not reliable to fly a plane. So what are you looking at to figure out if someone's reliable or not? Yes, yeah, so reliability, we, we break it really into two things, um, both diligence and competence. Diligence is to make it really easy. I mean, we've got lots of all these signs for but diligence is do they have the energy and drive to to accomplish the things that they have laid out verbally? So that's just diligence, really simple. And competence is really even easier. Do they actually have the skills to do what they say they're going to do? You know, and we've all seen this in our lives. You know, the example I use, you know, in the book is I was working with this guy that was placed in charge of this task force. And he talked a great game. You know, he had he had a great background, great resume for what we're doing. And then as the as the days kept ticking on and we kept waiting for milestones to be met and deadlines to be met, nothing, nothing, nothing. He get he just kept talking circles and he became more and more vague because he really lacked the competence in order to achieve the, the technical aspects of what we're trying to do. And it's basically the, the people aspects of what, who we're trying to bring in. So his reliability then went way down. At the same time, someone can be really, you know, competent in a certain area, but they don't have the energy to follow through on it. So 
Reliability is a big one. When you're looking at reliability, do you lean towards giving more weight to diligence or competence? I'm looking at I'm looking at that diligence because I figure I, I can teach anyone to flip a switch. What I can't do is teach you humility to open your mind to the fact that there might be a, a, another way to do it. And so I'm, I'm looking for diligence with an open mind. Right. So you can teach a person to be competent at their job usually um, because you can teach them the, the skill part of the job, but it's harder to teach motivation, both of the job itself as well as the motivation to examine where you're falling short and where you need to improve. And people need to have that energy and diligence to want to get better. So another thing you're looking at when you're sussing up whether someone's trustworthy are their actions. What specific actions are you looking at to see if someone's trustworthy? So this this to me became one of the first ones I identified. And I I love the phrase, you know, the definition of crazy is doing the same thing again and expecting a different result. So that to me is is where actions came from. In other words, if I can see and observe what you do two or three times, I can almost guarantee what you're going to do the fourth. And so I am always looking, you know, I frame it in the book for, you know, signs of positive actions, but I'm actually just looking for what you do. I don't care if it's positive or negative. If I see how you interact, you know, if say you're a boss and I see you consistently micromanaging people, I can almost guarantee if I see you micromanaging Jane, Mary, and Tom, I can almost guarantee you're going to micromanage Jack as well. And so if you don't wind up micromanaging Jack, well, there's something different about Jack. We've got to figure out what Jack's doing in order to not have micromanage. So I like seeing past patterns of key behaviors because if I can observe you doing something a couple times, I don't live with that, that thing called hope. I don't hope you're going to do different next time. No, I know exactly what you're going to do next time. And again, this is all context specific. Yes, Absolutely. Another thing you're looking at is language, but like language is tricky because people, that's how people deceive, right? It was with words. So what are you looking for in the way someone talks to figure out if they're trustworthy or not? The language, this is the the one I absolutely love the most because this is where, you know, the code of trust was how do I demonstrate value and affiliation to others? I'm going to do one of four things, if not multiples in everything I say and do. I'm going to be seeking your thoughts and opinions and we talking in terms of your priorities I'm going to be validating you and your thoughts and ideas without judging you. And I'm going to be adding choices. So those four things tell the other person that I am, it's all about you. And when I'm demonstrating those things, I'm demonstrating that I want to affiliate with you. And I'm demonstrating that I value you and your dopamine in your brain is flowing. So now reverse it. What I'm looking for in language from someone else, I'm looking for the same things. Are they seeking my thoughts and opinions? Are they talking in terms of my priorities? Are they validating me without judging me? And are they giving me choices? So that's what I'm looking for in language. And it's a very easy thing to see, you know, after whether you're live in a conversation or you're in an email, you can go line by line and ask yourself, is that sentence about me or is it about them? And I'm hoping what I'm looking for is a preponderance of the conversation centered on me if I'm assessing someone for trustworthiness. I love the story because with each of these principles, you use a, you use a story from your own career to highlight yeah. it. The story in this one yep. was a lot of fun. This is like right after you retired from the FBI and you started working as a consultant for companies and you had this guy who came in as like a smooth talker, but then you just sort of keying in like, I don't know if I can trust this guy. Yeah, it was it was a really fascinating experience. So it was a, it was a big corporation kind of thing and, and they do a lot of intel research and he did a great job. He reached out for me via email 
And he did, he had all those key things in his first email to me. He says, Robin, I did a lot of research on you and I read your books. I saw your blogs. I listened to great podcasts on, you know, art of manliness. <laughs> and, uh, and you have exactly what we're looking for, you know, because you, you have all these great skills. And my company is all about building trust it really quickly. And we do a lot of cold calls, but, you know, it's all about building trust and building health relationships. You know, we'd love for you to come out and we'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on what we can do. How does that sound to you? Again, they had all those elements. You seeking my thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of my priorities, validating me and empowering me with choices. And so I, I was all in thinking this was going to be awesome. But uh, when I showed up on site, what happened was he... First of all, he really, he shifted, you know, he sold a great bill of goods, you know, and, you know, he shifted it to basically he overworked me hard. It was, it was hilarious. I, I land in the plane, you know, coming off the plane and normally, and I, I think it's like six o'clock at night, my flight landed. It's out, it's out in, I mean, I say it's in California. I always hide the, hide where the people actually are to protect the, uh, protect the innocent. But it was, it was about a four or five hour flight. And uh, I thought I was going to take an Uber to the airport. He picks me up in his big, he had a Range Rover, picks me up in his Range Rover. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. I figured he's going to bring me there, you know, bring me to the hotel at six o'clock at night. And he freaking brings me back to the office and his entire office is still there. And he th- starts throwing files at me to go through and start changing language and scripts. And I was like, huh, isn't that interesting. <laughs> and first thing he did was, hey, we use scripts. I was like, scripts. I said, you know, good. I said, good rapport and relationship and trust developers, you know, they listen to the other person. So they're not scripting so they can listen and pay attention. He goes, yeah, but these people don't have your skills. We need to script. Go through our scripts. So that became the first sign of a, huh, came to be. He was actually trying to get me to help them to manipulate people. And I came, I actually told him that, you know, by the end of it, I, I said, I said, you know, I'd love to do this for you, but my brand isn't manipulation. And you're at the end of the day, you're trying to manipulate people because you're using a lot of subterfuge. You're trying to control time without transparency. And I also think you're targeting the wrong person to talk to because you're trying to convince a low level guy to give you information and he won't. How can, you know, I'm always thinking that you can't convince that low level guy. How can I inspire him to want to? The only way we can inspire that low-level guy is have this boss above them allow him to. I said, so I would go after the guy above him and actually share with him what you're trying to achieve and empower him with the choice whether he wants to do it or not. Anyway, I walked away from that one. So yeah, it was it was a good lesson on language. Right. So yeah, I mean, this he was using the right words, but then you had to do the verify. Looking, at, You have to look at the other principles or the other behaviors. You looked at his actions and you're like, well, this guy can't trust him. Yeah, his actions were incongruent with the words he was using. And and then he started then he started shifting the words and the language up too. So he he caught you know, he, he had me bite the hook because he was using the right things, but yeah, his actions were not following up on it without a doubt. Well then you also talk about you know, as you looked in retrospect, you started there was some even in his language, some there were some red flags. For example, he started like bragging kind of subtly about his business that you know his company oh, yeah. made. Yeah, yeah. He, he was throwing down his resume, he's throwing down the people he knew. He was knocking some people, he's like knocking some former colleagues of yours that are now in the consulting game. Yeah, I I'm an, an actually some what was really funny was he didn't know my relationships with these people, which was I, I thought was a dangerous thing that he did, you know, for someone who's so skilled. The you know, like I mentioned the book, you know, two of the guys, uh, you know, I'll mention one of them is a good friend of mine, um, Joe Navarro. He mentioned Joe Navarro, and he started knocking him with something. I'm like, dude, you are you are talking trash about the wrong dude to me because <laughs> I know him really well, and he's a good friend, and he's got mad skills. And the fact that you're kind of knocking him shows me where actually your 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 narcissism is. <laughs> Right. Well, and the other thing to keep in mind is like, well, if you're talking about this guy like that, like, 
are you going to talk to me, yeah. talk about me like that when I'm not here? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, and that's the big thing with language. If, if people are talking trash about other people to you, they're trying to engender trust through negative talking. That's a really bad sign of trust. All right. So it's a great example of the story. Sometimes the, the, the cues or the, the signs of in language are a lot, little more subtle. You have to be paid attention to it. And this is a good example of your story that even if someone's, you know, shows signs of trustworthy behavior on one of these principles, you have to look at the whole, the bigger picture or else you might be led astray. Yeah. Just constantly assess. You know, I always look at it like this, you know, every moment is very different and we can start out very good like this guy did. And all of a sudden, if something makes you feel a little different or a little awkward or something just doesn't feel right, that means something shifted on their behalf. And now you just examine it, you know, and, and, and don't wait for it to get better. Kind of, you know, I don't like waiting for things to get better. It's like, oh, you just blow it off. If you, I, here's what I guarantee. If you just blow it off and don't pay attention to it, you're probably going to get burned by it. So I'm not saying at the first sign of something going sideways, I, I bail. But if I see it two or three more times because now I'm paying attention to it, that's when, that's when I either have a good, honest discussion or I just back away because that is someone who's not trying to do healthy things. So the, the final thing you're looking at is stability. What do you mean by stability? Oh, the best one of them all. I'm looking for emotional stability. Does this person freak out? Are they emotionally hijacked? And how frequently do I mean, everyone has their moments, right? Everyone has moments where they just have, you know, they get frustrated, they get angry at something. But how frequently is it? And how rational is it? And most importantly, do they have tools to deal with it? And do they move on quickly from it? Ideally, you want no emotional hijacking. You want someone that's completely stable, that never freaks out at any situation. And because, I mean, this is what happens throughout my career. You know, my, my wife is still amazed sometimes, you know, whether we're dealing with neighbors, friends, or work, you know, something will happen or someone will drop some sort of, you know, social bomb on my lap. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. All right, what do we do now? You know, meanwhile, other people freak out. They, 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 they just blow up, but that doesn't help anyone. So I'm always looking for good emotional stability because those are the types of people that are maintaining good cognitive thought. So yeah, some signs, some of those negative signs that you talk about that I think people, have, we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times before with other guests, like catastrophizing, right? If someone's constantly saying like, if the problem comes up, this is the worst thing to ever happen. It's, that's, not, that's not good, not stable. Right. They're always feeling like they're victims of everything. They big one that you can really tell really easy with a lot of people. They have a sense of entitlement with people. They think that they're, you know, they're waiting to be rescued by either lotto or a rich relative on things. They love blaming other people. And the big thing is they're just really volatile. You know, they overreact to every single situation, whether it's a news or whether it's a relative or some or coworker. And in the end, you know, you can really tell because they're ultimately the biggest manipulators in your office or attempting to be so. Right. And then those positive signs to me, when I, when I was going through this in the book, I was like, well, if they're just, I mean, if they're a cool person, you can probably trust them. Like in these things, like they're flexible. Like if something comes up, they're able to roll with the punches. You know, they, they follow the code of trust. Like they're humble, they're non-judgmental, yep. they're understanding. They're appreciative. Yeah, appreciative. Like they're not hungry for power. Yeah, and they remain calm, cool, and collected in every situation and have no problem sharing glory with others. I like the story you told in the book about the Russian general who had a, a strong position of authority, who could have used his power to dress you down. But he didn't overreact to your request and instead gave a denial that was simply straightforward, which was actually a good sign and made you respect him more. 
Yeah, so that was a that was a really interesting situation. So here is this this Russian general, and you know the story I gave in the book wasn't the only time we tried to uh, we tried to get in front of him and offer him an opportunity for him and his family to uh, have a different life. Is the way I like to put it. But instead of you know getting emotionally hijacked and running off to the State Department or protesting with the ambassador, this guy was just calm, cool, and collected. It. And I loved his response. You know after. After we, you know, had a, a contact of ours, let him know, hey, I got a guy from special services referring to me that would love to have a conversation with you about X, Y, and Z. His response was, well, if he'd like to have a professional conversation with me, he should go through my secretary and contact me at the mission. That was beautiful. That was the most poetic no I've ever gotten. <laughs> it was professional. It was calm. It didn't overreact. And that was a message. No, I do not want to have a conversation with this guy. Right. Because what he could have done is he could have made a, yeah, protested somehow. Oh, he could have, made- he could have flipped the, I mean, I've seen these guys run down the street. I've seen them run away. I've, I've seen them, people freak out. <laughs> it's, it's really pretty funny what they'll do when confronted with something. I mean, hell, all I was doing was selling a product. He didn't, all he had to do was say no, but some people really freak out. <laughs> so these are the six things. I mean, does someone need to have all of these signs for you to trust them or do you got to just show positives no. in a few? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I, I know very few, I mean, I'd have to really recollect hard to think of anyone that has all of them. Maybe my wife does. Um, and, uh, but no, you know, cause what we're looking for is, you know, for if someone, you know, has one or two and are really strong in them, oh, that's when you lean in, you know, because basically you're just looking for someone not taking advantage of you and you want someone who's self-aware and doesn't get emotionally hijacked. You know, and if you have those kind of core things going there, these other ones give you a better clue and idea about you know where I can trust them, where what areas they might need a little training in, those kind of things. But if you have a couple, that's good enough. But again, it just gives you it gives you something to look for, you know, because assessing someone for trustworthiness is very very subjective. And I outline six signs, which are also kind of subjective. But when you have ten tells four. And 10 behavioral tells against for each of these six signs, what you have is a lot of data and a lot of ways to focus on the other person. And so what happens is when you have that much observation, the subjective starts becoming objective. And so at least you're making some good, healthy choices about how to engage and what you could reasonably expect someone else to do. So when you're sizing someone up, is like stability the first thing you're looking at? Is like, is this person emotionally stable? Yeah, I'm looking for stability first. The second one is uh, past patterns of behavior. I'm looking for actions. I'm looking for stability. Probably next after that, I'm looking for competence and diligence, you know, as a subset of that, you know, so those are the first ones, but overarching with that emotional stability, I love people that are self-aware. I love, you know, my favorite question ever when doing any kind of interview of bringing someone on a team or someone I'm working with, or even just a friend, when I ask you what your challenges are in life, I love the response where they're very open about, all right, I kind of suck at X, Y, and Z. And then the next thing out of their mouth is, and here's what I put in place to overcome X, Y, and Z. Because people are never looking for you to be perfect. All they'd love to see is an effort and an awareness and and no insecurities about sharing it because the people that are not insecure are the people you can really trust. Well, Robin, where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Sure. Uh, Peopleformula.com, all one word, peopleformula.com. Tons of podcasts like yours on there. I got lots of videos. Got a, I got a free online training video right now on the six sign. I mean, on the 10 techniques of quick rapport, more coming out. And uh, I'm on Twitter, on LinkedIn. I'm all kind of all over the place and definitely reach out. I'm very communicative and uh, love chatting and sharing.
Well, Robin Dreek, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Allow me to share this, uh, this fun content we can all benefit from. My guest today is Robin Dreek. He's the author of the book, Sizing People Up. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, peopleformula.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash sizing people up. We can find links to resources where you delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as over 3,500 articles we've written over the years about pretty much anything you can think of. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who would think we get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding all you listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Mm-hmm.